hanging in Parkwell for happy hour, drinking vermouth in a bodega, and real historic markets. This week, we're in Barcelona. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. On this show, we visit the great cities of the world for dishes and drinks that make them unique. And this week, we're in a city that's on almost everyone's bucket list, Barcelona. My guest is Paula Morenza. Paula is a writer and foodie tour guide for Culinary Backstreets. Paula is originally from Galicia, Spain, but moved to Barcelona years ago and is an expert on the food and wine of the region of Catalonia in general and Barcelona specifically. We had a great conversation. In fact, we talked so much that I decided to break it up into two episodes. So today, part one of Barcelona next week, part two of Barcelona. This week, Paula and I talk about some of the neighborhoods like Sanz and Gracia, as well as some of the historic markets in Barcelona. And believe me, Barcelona has a lot of great markets. We also talk about one of my favorite spots, the Park Well and Happy Hour, the Vermouth Hour, and bodegas. And when we say bodega, we don't mean convenience stores in New York City. All right, this is making me thirsty and hungry, so let's eat. Destination, eat, drink. Paula, great to have you on Destination, Eat, Drink. Thanks for being on the podcast. I love Barcelona. I haven't been there in 15 years. I'm sure things have changed so much (laughs) since I've been there. But Barcelona is a huge city, one of the biggest cities in Europe, so I think maybe the first thing we should do is try to cut it into manageable pieces. Let's talk about a couple of the neighborhoods that we should visit in Barcelona when we go there. Tell us one or two of your favorite neighborhoods, Paula. Mm-hmm. Well, hello, Brent. It's a pleasure uh, to talk with you. Um, well, Barcelona metropolitan area is about more or less 4 million people. Barcelona city itself is really smaller. It's around 1 million and a half uh, the main neighborhoods um, are obviously the center, like the old city, Le Champla, uh, maybe are the, the best known neighborhoods of the city. And then immediately we have beautiful areas like uh, Gracia, for instance, or Sants or Poblenou, Poblesec, that they are neighborhoods that originally were villages, so they have a lot of personality themselves. Mm, for example, Gracia is one of the neighborhoods that I think that uh, uh, maybe is more interesting from a culinary point of view because the high concentration of uh, uh, bars and restaurants and bodegas from all different times, from the time when Gracia it was a village and very modern projects, super interesting projects that they were started for like young chefs uh, very recently. No? So they have all this combination of the very old uh, neighborhood life, families living there for several, several generations with a very strong feeling of belonging to this neighborhood. And at the same time, a lot of like new 
uh, arrival population and uh, young people also living in, in, in this area. A lot of young families. It is a fantastic neighborhood for young families because there are a lot of squares and a lot of terraces. So that means like open spaces for, uh, for, for have a, a meal outside, no? what is part of the charm of Gracia, Gracia neighborhood. Um, another neighborhood that is also very interesting from a culinary point of view, that is not Le Chambla or the old city, the very center of Barcelona, that this is always like super sparkling, is uh, Poble Sec. Poble Sec, it is uh, in one of the sites of Montjuic uh, Mountain, Montjuic Hill, and uh, it's a, again a dense like a neighborhood with a lot of bars and restaurants and with several streets, long streets that they are mostly dedicated to bars and you can find terrace after terrace after terrace after terrace with a great offert of, in this case, in this case of Poblesec, a lot of pinchos, beer, um, and vermouth or uh, offer for the vermouth time, no? Um, a little bit more far away, we have Sands. Uh, Sands is uh, a neighborhood with a very interesting um, workers' tradition, cooperatives, factories, especially during the, the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century. And nowadays, it's a, a neighborhood with a very strong personality that I love. And they also have this old market, centenarian market, these beautiful squares, and a lot of neighborhood life with uh, their bars and uh, old school bodegas that also make the, this neighborhood a, a very interesting one to visit from, from a culinary point of view. I don't know, in Barcelona, the thing is that Barcelona is one of those European cities made from villages. No, It was the old center of the city. And then villages that with the time, especially from the end of the 19th century, they all these villages became part of the city. They became neighborhoods. But as villages, they already had their own center of life, normally around a market. So they already had built, uh, like a fabric, no, or, or these like restaurants from the whole life and bodegas from the whole life. And, and together with the new projects and the new bars and the new restaurants, normally all these neighborhoods, they always have a, a very interesting area to visit and to enjoy eating and drinking. I love that these neighborhoods retain their characteristic charm. Um, but I wanted to go back to you mentioned the Sans neighborhood, Paula. Tell me about the new or the restored uh, Mercat de Sans, what that's like, and what are some of the things that we can enjoy when we visit? The Mercat of Sans, El Mercat No, is one of the centenarian markets of Barcelona. We have in Barcelona like 39 food markets. And 14 of these markets are historical ones. And 11 are, um, or 12, are uh, centenarian markets, markets with more than 100 years. That means that from time to time, this market, they should be refurbished, restored. And that happened with the markets in Gracia, with the Mercat of San Antonio in San Antonio neighborhood that took nine years to restore it. And wow. also with the Mercat de Sants. 
So in this moment, we have the original beautiful building, a modernist building that uh, the construction finished in 1913. But inside is completely refurbished, air conditioning, everything super clean and fantastic. We have all the traditional styles that we are going to find in all the food markets of Barcelona. The butchers, the charcuteries, uh, the vegetables. Something fantastic of Barcelona markets is that normally they have an offer a little bit more gourmet than what you can find in a regular supermarket. And you have very interesting, more proximity products, local products. Some styles, not all of them, but some styles, they even have very specific local providers or a few of them, they even have their own production in their own styles, no? their own vegetables in this case. All of these normally combined with a few cafeterias and restaurants. Normally restaurants, there is one, two. The thing is that the markets in Barcelona, they try to remain markets. It is a, it, it was a lot of debate about what, no, uh, what to do with the markets, how to transform or not transform them into food halls. Like it was happening in, in other European markets, like for example, the timeout market in Lisbon. No? Yes, yes. And uh, in Barcelona, for example, uh, one of the last markets uh, in being restored, it was a San Antonio market. It's an amazing market with a Greek cross, took a lot of time to restore it because there are some very old artifacts, Roman artifacts, and also part of the medieval wall uh, under the market. And uh, that was complicating a lot the, the restoration and gave time also to debate and discuss what to do with the market, with the neighbors, with the association of commerciants, with all the parts that were, that were involved in, in the market life. And uh, all of them, they were claiming the market for the neighborhood life. They didn't want it to have a market only to expose as a touristic site. They didn't want to have a market like El Mercado de San Miguel, El Mercado de San Miguel in, in Madrid, for instance, that is completely transformed into something else to visit. They wanted to keep the market like a neighborhood market to go and buy and make your shopping and maybe welcome everybody, of course, but keeping the original identity. That was very important for everybody, for the, for the sellers, uh, especially for the neighbors. You know, I do enjoy going to a food hall, but I'm so happy to hear that it's still a place where you can buy your fruits and your vegetables and you can go and maybe if you're a local, do your weekly shopping or your daily shopping at one of these markets. Because like you said, Paula, so many of these have just been turned into uh, tourist attractions with prepared food. And guilty as charged. I visit these places and I enjoy them. But yeah, I understand. The other, <laughs> but yeah. the other thing is, some of my favorite markets in all of Europe also sell fruits and vegetables because if I'm in an Airbnb, I got to do some cooking anyway. So, or I don't have to, but I do some cooking anyway. So I need to get those fruits and vegetables. And there's, to me, nothing more rewarding than going down to the market and discovering a different fruit or vegetable or something that's grown locally that's maybe a little bit different, and you can incorporate that into your meal that night. Yeah, exactly. But that doesn't mean that, uh, I mean, all the markets of Barcelona, you have little spots where you can still taste. Mm. Always a restaurant, is, there are always a couple of cafeterias, there is always little spaces here and there 
where you can sit and actually enjoy what it is offered in the market. And not only that, uh, also around the markets, there are always a lot of restaurants and bars and other beautiful shops. So the market is a little bit, when it is really a real market and really alive, it is a center of culinary life. So it's not only what is happening inside, it's also what it is happening around the market, you know, in the, in the squares and in the little streets around. So even preserving this uh, identity, you can still go and uh, eat and drink inside, inside the market. In San Antonio, the idea was to keep the balance in between both, no? You still have like this corner, this little bar, this place with tables and chairs even inside, but in a, not too much, no, in a, only a few of them, a little bit here, a little bit there, and of course preserving the real soul of the thing. I want to take you back to the Gracia neighborhood briefly because this is where one of my favorite places to go in Barcelona is, and that's the uh, Parque Güell, which was uh, originally supposed to be a housing development back 100 years ago, but now it's a, it's a park, and I love the mosaics there. I love all the people who gather around there. One of my favorite memories was when we were in Barcelona way back in 2006, spending an afternoon just walking around. And I remember it was filled with kids must have had the day off of school that day because it was filled with uh, school kids and teenagers um, just wandering around, having a having a fun time. And we just love being there. Can you talk about the park well a little bit? Uh, but you mean they were hanging around in park well? Well, the thing is. Yes. That especially, I have to say, now with the pandemic, you know, the park well is empty of tourists. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It, it's being took by the neighbors again, no? Much more oh, than, okay. than before. It is a space that, uh, for example, I sometimes go to run to park well. There is uh, all these, uh, you know, streets in between the, uh, or, well, I don't know, ways, no, in between the trees all around the monumental, the monumental part of the, of the park. And uh, lately during the last year, you can see a lot, a lot of locals also hanging around the, the park well, around the monumental area, inside the monumental area, making a sport and, uh, just having a relaxing time in, in between the columns, no? And in these beautiful, amazing benches uh, made of uh, uh, broken tiles. And this is something that uh, back in the day, it was getting a little bit hard to get. Uh, I think that some years ago, it was still possible to visit Parguel and really enjoy the, the, the park like uh, Gaudí would like, no? like a park for everybody. But uh, in the last year, it was getting maybe a little bit massificated. Mm. And this is why now the, I say, you know, the neighbors is taking, taking the, the park back to them. You know? They are starting to enjoy them. Because what happened when uh, an area like that became so massificated by a tourist that is a little bit too much, is that the city lose it. You know? The neighborhood was losing the park well is something that was getting like, it was right there. And at the same time, it was getting far and far and far. And I remember the first years when I arrived to Barcelona that I used to go there also. And then it stopped. I stopped because uh, it, it was harder no, to, to enjoy it. Taken over by the tourists. Well, 
I would say that I hope the neighbors, uh, the folks in the neighborhood really enjoy it um, because I'm sure those tourists are coming back pretty soon. It won't be long now before there'll be a lot more tourists in Barcelona as we get the n- near the end of the pandemic. Um, I wanted to ask you a question, Paula, and this may this is a very strange question and you may not be able to answer it, but I have a distinct memory in my head from when we visited Barcelona and specifically Park Well. I remember I, I talked about all these kids that were hanging around in the park having fun and talking to each other and playing and playing music. And I remember one kid, probably 16 or 17 years old, we heard him for about an hour and we could always tell where he was in the park because every five or 10 minutes he would shout at the top of his lungs, happy hour. Oh, as, as an American, I know what happy hour is. <laughs> you know, we have, we have happy hour. We go out for a cocktail, but I thought this kid was obviously Spanish. Is happy hour a term that is used in Spain or was he just maybe saw something on TV and he's just repeating it? Uh, we know the concept, but we know it as an American or British concept. Oh, okay. Also in some you know, North European countries, sometimes they use it also the happy hour. But uh, okay. yeah, in Spain, like in our daily life, in our bars, maybe someone you can find in the touristic areas, you can, you can find a happy hour moment, no, a happy hour offer or something like that. In the moment that you leave, I don't know, Madrid and Barcelona, for instance, or Sevilla, you are not going to see happy hours uh, in any bar of Spain. So, so probably this kid knew something about it. Um, probably <laughs> he discovered that it's a fantastic to call the attention of... Uh, he thought it sounded funny or something. Yeah. Because it, it is a funny word when you, when you think about it, when you don't think about it as a, a time to go to a bar, just happy hour is just a funny word, a uh, funny phrase. Yeah, it's like so, a, a, a nice moment, no? A happy moment. Yeah, <laughs> Sounds yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is the moment of be happy. Yeah. <laughs> so we won't talk about the happy hour in Barcelona, but what about the vermouth hour? Can we talk about that? Yeah, vermouth is a great tradition in Barcelona. In fact, it is an heritage from Italy, our neighbors. I mean, we share a lot of uh, traditions and a lot of food and drinks. And in the case of uh, the vermouth during the 19th century, the vermouth started to evolve in the north of Italy to, to, to become the drink, the popular drink that we know nowadays. You know, it was a moment where like brands like Martini and Rossi were starting to, to spread their product around. And, uh, this, um, tendency or this fashion arrived to France. You know, from starting north of Italy, then arrived to France. In France, they started to produce also their own vermouths and the white vermouth and their specific varieties. And immediately later, arrived to Catalonia. So the vermouth uh, in Catalonia from the 19th century started to become also originally something a little bit more like urban and maybe more bourgeois, very originally, but very quickly uh, became some uh, a very popular drink. Uh, produce it in Catalonia. Originally, the, the first city uh, where the vermouth was produced is uh, Reus, and uh, some of the oldest vermouths that we have from the 19th century or the beginning of 20th century are uh, vermouth Miró or vermouth Izaguirre, that they, they are vermouths that we can find still nowadays. And from, from Reus, they 
many other areas around, especially in the area in the province of Barcelona, they started to produce their own vermouth. And in the city, it was a drink typically uh, used as an aperitif before lunch um, in in the neighborhood bodegas, no, or in the neighborhood uh, or in the neighborhood bars. A bodega. I don't know if you maybe I, I should explain a little bit more, no, what it is a, a bodega yeah, in Spain. Americans, especially New Yorkers, when they think of bodega, they think like the corner store where you go and buy some milk or potato chips. It's we call it a convenience store throughout most of America, but in New York they call them bodegas. But that's not what a bodega is in Spain. So maybe yeah, explain what a bodega is in Spain. Yeah, exactly. Here, bodega is the word that we have for cellar. And uh, so it could be a wine cellar, a bodega. When you go to, to visit like a, like a wine yard and the house in the wine yard and the, the cellar, but also it has, you are going to be, you are visiting the bodega. And uh, bodega could be also like a place where you can storage all kind of food and drinks and even things, you know, even objects. For example, the uh, in a the plane holder, you know, the space in the plane for the bags. This is in Spanish the bodega, also of the plane. Huh. So the concept, okay. yeah, the concept is storage. You no, know, it's the place where we storage. And from wine storage, uh, the word was evolving to a place where you the wine, the wine barrels, you no, know, were uh, storage there for a time. Also, probably they had, well, probably not for sure. They had other uh, other kind of food. Normally, simple food that can be preserved in this in this space. And uh, what happened is that in the cities, in the, in a city like Barcelona, imagine uh, people was not making wine. No, the wine was made in the villages around in the countryside. So the mm-hmm. wine was arrived from the countryside, from the wine areas to the city, and in the city it was storage in these places in wine barrels. These places that uh, they were normally dark and deep, and uh, the big, huge in that time, the beginning of the 20th century, the barrels they were huge barrels, and they had all these different kind of wine there. So people living in the city they went to these bodegas, to these storage places with wine, to buy wine in bulk. They arrived there with their own bottle, you know, and they were refilling their bottle with the wine from the wine barrels, from the wine casks. This is the origin of the bodegas in the city. The ones that nowadays, and during the whole 20th century, they were transformed into bars, sometimes into restaurants. So the ones that we have nowadays is already the evolution during one century and a half, sometimes, of a storage, a place to storage wine into something else but always relate, related or connected with wine. So with the vermouth, I know when we were in Madrid, a lot of the bars produce their own house vermouth and they'll pour it cold off of the tap or from a cask. What is the style of getting vermouth in Barcelona? Do the bars make their own? Do they bring it in? Do they pour it from a bottle, from a cask? How does it work? Yeah, uh, normally the bars, when they have their house vermouth, only very few times mean that they actually do it. The, the bars that they do their own vermouth, normally they're producers. They sell the vermouth with their own brands and everything. The great part of the vermouth, uh, of the bars that they have the, the house vermouth is because they have a, like a personal provider. 
you know, they have this special provider that is making the vermouth normally outside Barcelona. And uh, they, it's like their own selection. It's like the house wine. No, it's, normally they don't do it, but it is their own selection. And in Barcelona, it's exactly the same. There are a few bars that they have a vermouth with their own name, like Casa Mariol or Morrofi, that they, they, they are vermouth brands and they have their own vermouth and they have their own bar and they offer this vermouth in, in their bar. And then there are many others that they, um, they offer vermouth. Sometimes they have like a more expensive one or a more special one and the house vermouth. That is a basic one with a more affordable price. Some of them, they have it in bulk and others, they have it in, uh, in bottles that normally they, 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 they keep in, in the fridge. Okay, there you go. That's part one of our conversation about Barcelona with Paula. And if you're thinking vermouth, that's an old lady's drink. Well, you got to trust me when I say vermouth has undergone a resurgence in Spain in the last few years. And having a couple of ice cold glasses of straight vermouth with tapas is quite a bit of fun. And speaking of tapas, we'll tackle that topic along with wine and cheese in part two of our Barcelona talk, and that'll drop next week. We've also got links in the show notes for Barcelona food tours with culinary backstreets, as well as some of the places Paula talked about. You can get that at radiomisfits.com slash DED136. And head over to DestinationEatDrink.com for my latest story. It's about the famous church where R.E.M. played their first ever show and the efforts to preserve that site. That's at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and head happy hour honcho Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.